So you might have heard this famous quote. A Zen master was once asked, what is enlightenment? And the Zen master said, enlightenment is intimacy with all things. Isn't that a great answer? I like it because it's more of an artistic, you know, picture than some sort of little computer program trying to possibly define what is enlightenment. Intimacy with all things. So let yourself sort of sense that for a minute, resonate, feel that in your whole body and being. What, what could that possibly mean? <laughs> to be intimate with all things. Just sort of feel that for a minute. Think about any time for a moment when you remember being intimate, when you, when you would say that was, that was a moment or a time of intimacy with someone, a friend, a partner, a tree, or your grandmother on her deathbed. Just think about that for a moment. What was happening that made that be intimate? When, that, when you felt somehow close and connected to the night sky, even to a star. What's going on there? And if you um, sort of remember that, tune into that, you remember there's a few things going on. One is that you were fully present. You were there for that experience. Didn't mean it was a pleasant experience, but you were all the way there. And whatever the experiment experience was. It may have been a beautiful experience. It may have been a very difficult one. Like I said, a deathbed experience where you don't wish that your loved one is dying, but you're experiencing this profound intimacy. So you're present, and the other thing is that you are open to what is occurring. Present and open to what's happening in that moment. So imagine being intimate with all things. Wouldn't that be amazing to be intimate, present, open with all things? Um, many years ago, long ago, more than 30 years ago, when my husband and I were just getting to know each other and sort of in a training phase of how to possibly be even in a little in a relationship, let alone intimate, um, this really happened, and we've laughed about it so many times, where one day he said, I love you, but he wasn't there. He, his mind it was somewhere else. But he actually said the words, which I'd been asking for. <laughs> I said, but you know, were you at all connected? He said, do you mean that you want me to say it and feel it? <laughs> so we've laughed a lot about what he calls the men's training program, <laughs> learning how to actually get in touch with and express feelings. Women have to learn it too, but it, was, it really happened. Yeah, so what would that be like to, to live in a way where we experienced intimacy with all things? It's, it's pretty far out beyond um, our imagination for most of us, at least it is for me. But this is the quality of presence that we're cultivating when we do this insight meditation that we're practicing here in this Sangha. We're practicing the way to become present 
with what is right here, this moment. Um, and so as you sit with yourself, sometimes it felt really quiet in here at night, beautiful. And I'm sure you also may have noticed some moments that weren't just quiet, possibly. Maybe one or two of you had a thought. But um, meditation is like putting yourself under a magnifying glass, putting your mind body under this, this magnifying glass, and it can magnify uh, the beautiful experiences of life. It can magnify feelings of love, connectedness, joy. Raise your hands if ever in meditation you felt more love or connected. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah, so we know what that is. You get quiet and you feel... You sometimes feel this, this ridiculous amount of, of love and connection with total strangers. Um, the other side of the coin, however, is that uh, the magnifying glass can also magnify all those ways that we're not present. Suddenly we can be sitting there and it is the, the, the thoughts, the memories, the plans, the comparing, the worrying, you know, the et cetera, et cetera can be so loud. Raise your hands if you've ever noticed that. <laughs> yes, thank you, okay. That was a quick answer. <laughs> yeah, one of the, you know, there's so many places that we can go off into like shopping fantasies, you know. Where did she get that shawl? If I had one like that, then I could meditate too. You know, there's all the places that we, that we make up. So if you happen to notice that you have mind activity, like thinking and planning and remembering and all, well then welcome to the club of the human race. That's what's happening in human beings. What is unusual is that most people don't stop and notice. And without stopping and noticing, all of that stuff is the force that's moving our world around. And look, you know, you could see what it's doing <laughs> in our world when it's unattended to. So I always am grateful to people who are attending to all that stuff, as we are. So the fact that we have mind activity and thinking and all of that stuff doesn't mean we're hopelessly bad people. It's not, we're, it's not, we're not guilty of it. The Buddha didn't assign meditation as a punishment <laughs> or a torture. It's just that when we're lost and swept into all of that noise, we become disconnected from our deepest nature. We feel separate. We feel separate from ourself and separate from each other. All the thinking and planning and worrying and all of that functions as a kind of veil um, that, that filters or even blocks our sense of connectedness with our own deep nature and everyone and everything else. So we practice. We, we, we come to practice, we, we come to sangha, we come to retreats, we sit, many, many of us every day, in order to remember how to return 
to the present moment and practice the art of being intimate. Practice seeing what is so in this moment and opening to that as it is. Um, there's a a lot of Almost everybody, I think, having been a therapist for about a thousand years now, (laughs) a really long time, um, most people have either consciously or unconsciously a longing to belong, a yearning for intimacy, a yearning for intimacy, whether it is with another, with their own self, with the earth, or just a sense of belonging to this mysterious universe, a sense of not being separate. There's an innate longing for that quality of intimacy with things. So this practice, we actually come and cultivate it because um, because it's we're trying to quench that thirst, the thirst for intimacy and longing. Longing to belong. Um, Pema Chodron says that a a moment of mindfulness is a moment when we simultaneously experience clarity and kindness. So let's just say we're sitting here, sitting, and then we just start feeling, wandering off, and we're in a sort of tropical vacation fantasy. You know, it's just all about, you know, the beach and the turquoise water and the snorkeling and whatever, you know, cool drink you're going to have, the lemonade and the shade, whatever it is. And then you come back and you remember you're meditating. And that moment of returning, that you don't have to judge yourself, you don't have to swat yourself, you don't have to wonder why you were doing that. For, you know, All you do is that moment, uh, meet that moment with what she calls clarity or precision of just seeing what is so. Oh, wanting. That's all. It's simply, that's mindfulness, just knows that's wanting. And simultaneous to this precision is that quality of kindness. Oh, that was just wanting. And then just back to this moment, this breath. So there's no need no to add any extra anything. So what I just described, even a moment of that, of just meeting an experience as it is with clarity and kindness is a radical moment. To do that for 30 or 40 minutes, it's a radical thing to do with your time. And think of doing a whole retreat or practicing a lifetime like that. It goes against our conditioning, which is to seek pleasure and avoid pain, to, to actually be with what's happening and open to that. It's, it's an extraordinary training. It's, um, we're invited by the Buddha to open to the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the neutral, which includes everything all of it, open to it as it is. So we're asked in our meditation practice to learn, to cultivate, to develop over time the capacity to allow a contraction in our body, our mind, our emotion to be a contraction. 
In other words, we don't have to go fix it. We don't have to rip it open. We just see, oh, contraction. Oh, it's a contraction. Where we are, we practice opening to being closed. In other words, we're, the intimacy we're talking about isn't about making it all better or different. It's about opening to how it actually is. We learn about meeting things like all the various self-fears, self-judgments, all that stuff with compassion, kindness, rather than judging, rather than making ourselves somehow wrong for that. We're also invited to notice and enjoy and embody the beautiful, the pleasant, when that comes. So we're not just opening to the difficult. We're opening to the beautiful, and sometimes it's very subtle. Uh, qualities of, of, there can be very subtle joy or peace or love that are, are so quiet that we wouldn't hardly notice. But we're asked to notice and to actually receive that and let it wash through us and and enjoy it. So in that way, we're um, opening to all the joys and all the sorrows, to whatever is here. This way of being, this way of practicing is uh, liberating. And it's liberating because it loosens the grip on this sense of a solid self, this, this I who knows how it is, knows how it's supposed to be, knows how, it's, how I'm going to make it be, this whole way that the I grabs on. You know, you know the one I'm talking about? <laughs> the controlling I. This way of being a practice that opens to things as they are loosens the grip on that. And when that loosens, even for a moment, there's a sense of freedom that flows inside. There's room for life instead of having to fight with life. That is intimacy with all things. This is a poem by Jennifer Wellwood. <clears throat> she says, Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, pure devotion. Yeah, so I read that um, each experience I, each condition I flee from pursues me, each condition I welcome transforms me. I'm sure some of you have noticed that along the way, since this is a group of experienced practitioners. But we have to keep hearing it again and again. Have you noticed that? Because the conditioning to 
to pursue the pleasant and avoid the difficult is so strong. I was working with a woman in a retreat, a meditation retreat, and she came in and she says, uh, I don't know what's happening. I just, I just cannot stay here. I just am going off into fantasy after fantasy. I'm, you know, sexual fantasies, romantic fantasies. And she said, if they're not sexual or, she said, I'm even cleaning my closets in my fantasies. You know, I'm so desperate to get away from the here that I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm sitting there imagining cleaning my closets. So I, so you know, we become curious together in the interview. Well. What if you were just present here, right now, with what is actually happening? What if you sat, and what if we started at the level of body sensation? So she sat there a little and she said, well, I feel this tight feeling in my chest and my stomach. I said, can, can you allow that? And she, she says, I notice I don't want to, but I can, I can feel it. And then she noticed this great sadness in her chest she said, it's sadness and loneliness. I don't want to feel this. I said, well, c- can you be present with it a little? Just for a few moments, you know, okay, I'll do that. And just great sadness and loneliness. And as she was present with it, it became a much huger thing, much larger than a little loneliness. It became a terror, a sense of a black hole, a sense of, yikes, terrifying. And I saw, I said, can you feel that in your body? Can, 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 you be, can you tolerate that for a few moments? So she sort of sat there quivering, and then in a few moments, she, um, it was like she relaxed, and she said, wow, um, that black hole has become like a uh, vast expanse of silent peace. And I feel connected with everything. Instead of lonely, I feel connected. And I, you know, I've had with students or with myself, I've had that experience with people countless times. Whatever it is, the poem said, whatever we're fleeing, we're, we're um, the condition that I flee pursues me. The condition I welcome transforms me. So in that experience, when she was finally able to sit with that fear of loneliness, she got to experience intimacy, intimate, a sense of connection with everything. Um, it's kind of strange if you really think about it, like who wrote this script? If, if we try to untangle the knot with force, the knot tightens. If we meet the knot with awareness, as Pema Children says, clarity and kindness, it untangles by itself. But it's counterintuitive. We actually have to train ourselves to relax enough to let the unwinding happen. And that's a big part of Dharma. So, presence, wise, compassionate presence, is liberating and healing. That what we, uh, what I described with that woman, that could be described as sort of healing, transformational, and healing. 
and intimacy in all its varieties, human intimacy, intimacy with nature, the universe, is healing and liberating. Intimacy is healing and liberating. Once, um, you may have heard of this sutta, the Megya Sutta, as James talked about it, where the young monk Megya went to the Buddha. He was very uh, enthusiastic, but really green. <laughs> and the Buddha was trying to direct him in one direction, but the young monk thought he's ready to go sit alone and under the tree and not move, etc. And the Buddha was, <laughs> he knew he wasn't ready, but finally Megya just had to go experience it. And so he came to the Buddha amazed. He said, Lord Buddha, I tried to sit under the tree and I could not concentrate. My mind was here and there and everywhere, but I just couldn't get it to do what I wanted. And the Buddha said, I understand, Megya. You know, of course, you're young, you're just brand new. He said, Megya, cultivate a lovely intimacy with a spiritual friend. And I love the fact that in, actually, in the sutta, it was translated in those words, lovely intimacy. Those are not usually the words we hear in the Pali Canon. But the Buddha was saying, Megya, take refuge in Sangha. Megya, help develop from the inside. Support your inner development with connectedness to spiritual friends, with the lovely intimacy of connection. Um, and it was, this in, it was the instruction he gave to this young monk when the monk asked, how can I improve my meditation? Megya, cultivate a lovely intimacy with spiritual friends. So this taking refuge in Sangha is so important, so important. And you're fortunate you have such a great Sangha here. I saw the little list of activities and hikes and et cetera and potlucks. That's great. I really so encourage you to um, take advantage of what's here. It's very rich. So yes, Megia, cultivate a lovely friendship, you know, intimacy. And, and some of you might be thinking, yeah, easier said than done. It's not so easy to actually have a lovely intimacy. It, most of us here are grown-ups, we know that. Sometimes becoming intimate with friends or whatever can stir up our fears and we get reactive because we're humans. And in, on the path, spiritual journey, we realize that our relationships are part of our spiritual practice. So when our fear comes, our emotional reactivity, ah, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to meet it with clarity and kindness. Oh, intimate with fear. Oh, we learn to be intimate with, as this woman in the story a few minutes ago, she was actually, for those minutes we were exploring, she was experiencing directly what fear felt like, actually terror, in her body. Pounding heart, shaking, in, you know, fear. There wasn't any other place she was, and she wasn't off in the fantasies of cleaning her closet. She was being intimate with fear. And we learn, oh, we, we can actually even be intimate with fear. Just thought about um, Chunk, Trumpo Rinpoche. What was that great thing he said about fear? Um, fear is not 
the absence of courage. I'm sorry, courage. <laughs> yeah, get this right. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being intimate with fear. That's what Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche said. So, when we develop this um, spiritual friendship, you may notice we're developing the art of compassionate listening as part of actual spiritual friendship. I'll tell this story you may, some of you may have heard, true story that I think happened about 25 years ago, 25 or 30 years ago. It happened in the Ojibwe tribe, and um, a woman said, went to the elders and said, you know, the, um, our, our whole community is devastated by poverty and alcoholism, and I would like to do a healing ritual. And the elders said, all right. So uh, she managed to get the community together, and they formed three circles. And the first circle went to the center and were asked to talk and to tell the truth using their talking stick and to tell the truth. And they told the truth. They spoke truths that had not been spoken through all the generations in this particular setting. They were finally able to say what it had been like for them when their children were taken away to the government boarding schools. Um, they described, because now they were old, very old people, they described what they went through and how they felt powerless to protect their own children. The government just took them, our government, the United States government, I'm sure everybody knows about this. And that they said that when the children left, they lost all hope and they started drinking. And um, so they, they revealed the, the pain of that. Um, the next circle that sat in the middle was their children, who were also adults. And they told the truth in the circle for the first time in that setting, what it was like to be taken away from their parents, from their home, from their language, from their culture, from their values. What it was like to not know um, what's up, you know, to, to be confused. Where do I belong? What's even right or true? And they described that. And the third circle that came in the center were the grandchildren of the first group who were young adults by this point. And they shared the truth in the circle of what it was like to grow up or attempt to grow up in a community that was torn apart by alcoholism from one end to the other. And the um, community, for whatever combinations, were able in this ritual of, of deep listening to hear each other in a new way. And for the first time in all those years, they were able to grieve together the incredible losses. And when they could weep together, their healing began together. They began to go around a bend together. And um, 
the, in, the ritual ended with an offering circle. And one man stood up and said, I will never drink again. And an old, old, the oldest woman there said, I will teach songs that have not been sung here for 65 years. So person after per person made their offering. And, the, and this community began to be rewoven uh, through this quality of being fully present, deep listening, deep sharing. So clearly I'm telling this story, it's a powerful story, but also to remind us that's what our work is with ourself and with each other and with our world, is to cultivate this ability to be fully present in deep listening to all that there is to, to hear, to not stop, not to shut off and shut down, shut out parts, but to open, to hear, and to meet this, all that there is to, you know, the, that we listen to, that we connect with, with a compassion. And in this compassionate presence, this deep listening, we begin to reclaim our wholeness. We begin to heal and to reweave our fabric as well, like the Ojibwe people did too. So, um, one more story here. Two story. Um, I have uh, led wilderness vision quests for more than 20 years. I haven't done it for quite a while. I got too old for that because we would go backpacking with these heavy packs way up into the mountains for 10, 12 days. So it was quite a little adventure. Fabulous. Anyway, the woman I led those with, my, one of my dearest friends, um, some years ago, when she turned 60, asked a community of us, of friends, would we hold a rite of passage for her that she would go out and do one of these vision quests that we'd been leading for years? Yes, of course we would. And she's the woman, uh, my friend, name is Devi, D-E-V-I, um, is a real committed spiritual practitioner, 30 plus years of meditation, and a therapist and a poet, etc. Great woman. And so we were all glad to go do this with her. And um, of course, everybody knows that the, the rite of passage that takes at 60, when someone goes into being an elder, is the last rite of passage before death. There's a series in, in, in traditional cultures, and there's eldership, and then there's death. So it has, it has that power in it. So when she left, there was a, uh, we did a ritual, and then when I say leave, I mean we'd already hiked in, we were at the base camp out in the middle of nowhere already, and then we did a ritual, and she went on to spend the three days and three nights alone, um, totally alone at this high mountain lake while we sat at the base camp and tuned in. So um, when she left and we did the ritual, her intention was, may I be empty enough to hear the truest, uh, the deepest truth and guidance, and may I have enough trust to follow that guidance. And she was referring to what might happen in the next three days, but also the rest, the rest of her life, 
May I be empty enough to hear the truth and brave and trusting enough to actually follow it, whatever it is. So um, three days later, she returned to our circle and, and was reporting about her experience. And um, she started and she said, well, I decided to free myself from the tyranny of should. You know, wherever I should eat now. She said, you know, being such a good meditator, I had this whole little schedule, sit, walk, sit, walk. She, and she said, I got there and I'm looking around there. She said, no, I'm not going to have a schedule. I'm going to sit when it naturally is a, that's what's happening. And I'm going to walk when I walk and I'm going to eat when I walk. And she said, she even, I'm even going to sleep when I want to sleep. So she ended up having a lot of her retreat in the middle of the night because she was being awake for like half the night and sleeping in the early morning. So she said, um, um, that she, when she stopped with her schedule of sitting, walking, what she said, so I just sat by the lake and I listened to the sound of the wind moving through the trees and I saw the light on the lake. I watched, I watched the uh, stars moving at night. And she said, and then of course, I watched my mind move through all of this. Here I am in this gorgeous place and my mind is still going. <laughs> and she said, I watched my mind say things like, I should write a poem now. <laughs> and every time there was a should, she didn't do it. She just kept sitting, being by the lake. So, um, and as she said, paying close attention to life. That's what she was doing. And so she said on the first night um, was very hard. And it was very, she experienced it as very dark and alone. And she faced and felt as never before that in whatever was to come uh, from 60 on to who knows how old, she would be facing aging, loss, and death. And she felt that she let it in as she never had before. And she said it was a very hard and frightening night. But she did that. It's what was happening. The second night, she said she sat with tears streaming down her face for the beauty of the earth and the way the starlight was on the lake. And the third night, <clears throat> she described being in a place of no separation between herself <clears throat> and the immense beauty of the world that she was seeing. No, no, she said there was no separation between herself and the night sky. <clears throat> and that night she recognized her, her, her innermost nature, um, her innermost goodness, the, the deepest truth within her, and from, um, from that stillness, a deep knowing arose in her. And she said, and I knew that I definitely will face illness, loss, more aging, and death, and that it's okay. That was the amazing thing. She said that from this deep, lake of stillness, of being, 
she could trust that she could rest there and what would come would come because nothing would take away this deep inner truth. Death wouldn't take it. Age wouldn't take it. She was resting somewhere that was deeper than all that. So um, <coughs> when she returned into our camp, she was glowing and really looked a lot like a two or three-year-old, just this totally joy-lit, happy. And simultaneously, she was carrying the kind of presence and power of an elder. And we all felt it. Both of those things, here's this two-year-old and here's this mountain, you know, this wise being that just walked in our camp. It was beautiful to see. <clears throat> so I happened to, because I have such an unusual job, meditation teacher, I happened to see people all the time who are having powerful spiritual experiences. You know, they happen on retreats. And so I'm interested in what happens next. How is it integrated? Who will she be next month or next year? So we were all camping the group with the next few days together. And I, we all saw her. You know, she was really definitely in loving connection with herself, with, with, with all of us. We were having a lot of fun. And uh, when we walked out, and again, I've been leading trips with her for years, 20 years, and um, something changed, which she'd had hip pain before, but she had never before been able to ask people to take the weight the backpack weight. And as we went down the mountain, she did it without judging herself, no shame, just, oh, this is how this is. In that way, she was being intimate with, with the fact that, oh, I'm aging and my hips sore and these are younger people and would you, would you cake the weight? And there was something so important about that, a teaching for all of us. It wasn't about powering through or muscling through or being something you're not. It was about opening to what you actually are. You're an elder. You ask somebody to carry some weight. And it was a delight to carry her weight. Um, and then now it's been years and uh, she is actually one of the most, I hate to use these words, what would I call her? Just one of the most awakened people I know. Integrated, embodied people. She really is. Lots and lots of practice under her belt. Um, so I tell that story because I think it's important, it's inspiring, important for us to hear stories from our own Sangha. She's part of our Spirit Rock Sangha. Um, to know that this awakening is possible for all of us because this deep lake of, of awareness, of love that she has opened into is what is the very deep essence of every single one of us here. It's who we are. It's what we're made of. So it's important to remember that. It's not these just stories of people off in another land, in another land, in another time 2,000 years ago. It's just right here. And um, I tell it also to be reminded that um, the practice of being present, of opening to what is, seeing what's true and opening to that in every moment brings about a wholeness, a freedom, 
um, that she came across, that we can all come across, that the practice of letting go of whoever it was we thought we were supposed to be and actually opening to what actually is in the moment also brings us into this sense of a wholeness and this sense of this quality of intimacy with what is. So I'm going to end this by reading a poem that Debbie, my friend who was on the Vision Quest, wrote. It's called The Friend. Why settle for a cup of water when you are the river? You are the wetness in the water. Slide into the unknown. The beloved is waiting there. Climb down the rickety ladder into the mystery cave of your body where your own quiet music is playing. Become the great friend to yourself. Tip your identity into the empty bowl of being. Hold only space where you used to fill it. A cup already strained can hold no more. Escort people through you to the beloved, loving them, teaching them, learning from them, always returning to the solace of the friend. Hold your animal body tenderly. Caress the cheek of grief with presence. You are a gateway. No beginning, no end. A flame of living truth unfolding. Become the great friend to yourself. learning to be intimate with yourself. So what I'd like to do for a few minutes, I don't know how, I know you do sometimes do exercises here, right? But I don't know if you ever do them standing up. <laughs> well, I would like, let's do something radical and new. I would like you to stand up I'll first just stretch a little. And maybe take a deep breath a little. I don't know about you guys, but 9.15 is almost bedtime. <laughs> For some of us. Stretching, standing, breathing. So if you would be willing to stand and silently without talking, just face somebody and you don't have to know them. It's fine if you do and it's fine if you don't. Just stand facing someone. And uh, raise your hand if you don't have a partner. There's one. Oh, that's so unfortunate that the two people without partners are a long way from each other. Okay, well, yeah, you could sort of look right up up to the balcony. Good. That will be, when I said creative, we really are getting creative. Okay, so let your eyes close for just a moment, just to rest your eyes for a moment and to feel. Take a deep breath. 
And relax on the exhale. Relax your belly. Feel your feet pressing the floor. And then just open your eyes. Just silently, without any words, just from your uh, eyes, from your heart, just saying uh, hello. And wishing well to this person who you may or may not know. I wish you, I wish you happiness. I wish you intimacy with all things. And then as you look at that person, think silently to them, send this. I'm willing to be present, to be mindful of my thinking, my thoughts. Just, I'm just willing. While I'm here connecting with you, I'm just willing to notice if I am here or if I go off. And if I go off, I'm willing to come back. That's, that's easy. Just, I'm willing. And then with that simple thought, again, silently, wish them well. Thank you for being present with me for just a moment. And we bow. We say silently, namaste. I bow to the light within you. And please go to a different, meet in front of a different partner. So just turning, looking. We know it's pretty even. And as you see this person, again, relax your belly. Feel your feet on the floor. So you're practicing being present. You're practicing being right here. And silently say hello. I wish you well on your journey of awakening. And then I'm willing to practice being mindful of my emotions, which just means that I notice, I'm aware. If I'm angry or agitated or excited, I know that's what is coloring my reality. And I just know about that as I'm being present with you. So I'm practicing being here and noticing there's thoughts or emotions that are not right here. And I just notice the impact of being present, being mindful, while I say hello to you. So again, from my heart, I wish you well. I wish that you'd be happy. And I bow. Namaste. And go Stand in front of just one more, maybe, person. And again, taking a deep breath into your whole body. Exhale, relax. Feel your feet. Feel your feet. And then notice what happens when I suggest this. First, Just saying hello, I'm glad you're here tonight. I hope you're finding in your life what you're seeking. I hope you're finding your wholeness, your well-being. 
I wish that for you. And then I'm willing to practice being present in my body right now. That means I'm just sensing my arms and hands and my legs and feet. I'm sensing my belly right now as I practice being present with you. And that's, by the way, a learning thing. For some people, way far learning. But it's possible to learn. To learn to be fully present in my own body as I care and connect with you. Just notice what happens. What's the impact when you suddenly felt them become present in their body? Notice the kind of connection. And as you look at them, just for a moment, just see beyond their shyness or their embarrassment or their tiredness, can you see or get a feel that behind, deep in those eyes, there's something beyond imagining a goodness, a greatness. And just looking into their eyes, acknowledge, I do see your goodness, or I sense it, and I wish for you, may you also experience your own goodness. And then we bow. Thank you. And then you can uh, return to your seat. So for just a few minutes, there's so much to learn there about mindfulness once you're in that, um, the, the presence of another person sort of magnifies it. Did you notice that? Like, if your mind is active and you're not there, you're suddenly noticing that, and if, you're, if you are there, you're noticing that they're not there, you know, and, and uh, it's a strong um, thing, this intimacy practice. So I'm curious, especially when you noticed when the invitation was to be present in your own body while connecting with them, does anybody want to share anything you noticed or learned? Oh. Oh. Anybody notice anything when you're standing there, and the instruction was to practice being present in your body, sensing your own body, mindfulness of your body, and connect with another. What happened or didn't happen? I was just much more aware of all of a sudden what was going on in my body. And when, when you were aware of what was going on in your body, what happened to your connection or sense of any connection with the other person? person. I think I saw them better or something. Uh-huh. I don't know, or I noticed their body more or something. Yeah. yeah something Raise like your hand if when you got more in your body 
there was some, like she said, I, she may have seen them more, Did, that you somehow felt more present with the other. Raise your hand if you notice that. Yeah. This is a subtle thing, but our little mirror neurons can pick up things like this. When the instruction was to, for the person to arrive in their body, and, and you might have perceived them practicing being in their body, did anyone notice what it was like to... Anyone want to say, did you notice anything when your partner became more present? I feel like always I have a sense of when I'm with people that I get drawn into their eyes and their feelings and their body. And it felt like, and it makes me nervous. So I like, I love to be around people, but it never, I never feel peaceful, you know? Yeah. And so with that la last exercise, it was interesting. I felt somewhat safe. Yes. I didn't have to get, I could just stay into my body. Well, that's and I right. Felt more calm, I guess, or yes. save that they're sort of taking care of their own body. <laughs> I don't know. Well, how I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a very common, thank you, um, women's issue. Sometimes men have this thing. It's really common for women. Raise your hand if you understand what she's talking about. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> women's hands go up. Yeah, there's this very common thing. It's, it's I think... Uh, trained in us from you know hundreds of thousands of years of of needing to be scanning going out with feelers how is it going what's happening what do you need what do you need what do i need to feed you are you crying or you know just tuning in to everybody to the extent that we lose and don't know what's here there's a lot so there can be a vacancy here and it, it all gets magnified it's all out there and then there's a feeling of of not be, knowing what i need or want and that doesn't work out we that we find out, oh, that's not love. <laughs> I thought that was love, but that actually isn't. So for those of us that have that, it's incredibly relieving to find out we can come uh, practice all the way into our body as a practice, spiritual practice, while we're relating. And that, in fact, that brings the fullness of intimacy much more than this other thing when there's nobody here to be intimate with. Anyway, there's tons of interesting things to notice just from that tiny little few moments we shared. But um, because of the time, I think it would be good if we just um, ended with sharing the merit. So we can just offer any merit from this evening, from our practice. I like to think of it as, like Joanna says, a great ball of merit, we think of this great ball, of all the goodness that everyone has been cultivating in their life, in their practice, in their home practice. And we see it in the center. We imagine lifting it and sending that great ball out in all directions to every being. May love and healing and awakening go out in all directions, to every being, every part of our planet and beyond. And may all beings everywhere be free and happy.
Thank you all. Have a good evening.